Welcome to Navigating Consciousness. I'm Rupert Sheldrake, and this is a podcast of my talks and conversations. If you enjoy listening, please subscribe and leave a review in your favorite podcatcher. It really helps. Uh, you've done a lot of work in the topic of telepathy and sort of mind-to-mind connection, the very obviously taboo subject of parapsychology. What initially sparked your interest and involvement in getting into this? Well, I think that one of the problems, one of the reasons that, at least here in Europe, a large number of people become atheists is because they think that the materialist worldview, which is the dominant worldview of the sciences, is true. Uh, They think this is scientifically true. And the materialist worldview is essentially atheistic. What it says is that the universe is made up of matter. Uh, Matter is unconscious. The whole universe is unconscious except for human brains uh, and possibly animal brains as well. But then they can't explain why we are conscious because they think the entire universe is unconscious. There's no consciousness out there. There's no God, no spirits, no angels, nothing in the universe is conscious except us, then the very existence of human consciousness is a problem. It's called the hard problem in the philosophy of mind. And they think that human consciousness emerges from the brain, the activity of the brain inside the head. Now, that means all our consciousness should be inside our heads and couldn't have any effect outside our heads or relate to anything outside our heads except through our senses, our speech, our actions, and so on. From their point of view, God is simply an illusion produced inside human brains that's produced by people who are credulous enough to believe in fairy tales and believe stories. So it's a very dismissive and contemptuous view, really, of religion. And along with that, there's a taboo within science against telepathy and other psychic phenomena. Telepathy means feeling at a distance, tele-distance, pathy feeling. And uh, it's about the, the way that people can pick up other people's feelings or needs at a distance. So this is considered impossible within contemporary science, because if the mind is nothing but the brain, there's no way my thoughts could influence someone else. Now, it seemed to me that if telepathy exists, it would show that the mind is more than just the brain. It would show that the materialist picture is wrong, at least in relation to everyday psychic phenomena. And I don't think these psychic phenomena like telepathy are anything much to do with spirituality. I think they're to do with, as it were, horizontal connections between people or or between people and animals. I think they're part of our normal biological uh, nature. And because of that, I first started studying these with animals, particularly dogs and cats. I wrote a book called Dogs That Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home, uh, which is about dogs that know when their owners are coming home, that dogs, uh, many dogs go and wait by a door or window when someone's on the way home, even if they're coming at unpredictable times. And I did lots of experiments filming the dogs all the time the person was out. We had people come home at random times. They didn't know them in advance. We told them by a mobile phone when to come home. And we also had them come home in unfamiliar vehicles, so the dog couldn't be reacting either to routine or to familiar car sounds, or indeed to people at home knowing when the person was coming, because the people at home, if there were people at home, didn't know when they were coming. And over and over again, these dogs got up and started waiting 15, 20 minutes before the person came home. 
they were responding to their intention to come home telepathically. We eliminated all other possible explanations. And this work is published in peer-reviewed scientific journals. So I found that there was a lot of evidence for telepathy in dogs and cats. And then I found that many mothers telepathic with their babies. Again, this is very biological. A nursing mother, if she leaves her baby at home, goes back to work or goes shopping. Uh, many nursing mothers have found that when they do that, their milk lets down, their breast starts squeezing out milk when they're away from the baby. And most of them assume their baby needs them. And they go home or they now ring home on a mobile phone. And they're usually right. And I've done studies showing that this, again, seems to be largely telepathic. It's not just a matter of routine feeding times. It's very biological. And I think that, you know, it makes total sense because before the invention of telephones, uh, the only way a mother could have known when her baby needed her, if it was out of earshot, was uh, telepathically. Mothers that responded to their baby's needs at a distance uh, would um, have babies that survived better than mothers that didn't respond. And then the commonest kind in the modern world is telephone telepathy. About 85% of the population have had the experience of thinking of someone who shortly afterwards calls on the phone, and they say, oh, it's funny, I was just thinking about you. I think it's because to make when you want to talk to someone, you have the intention to talk to them, then you get the phone out and you dial them. And so, But while you, when you form that intention, I think they pick up your need to talk to them telepathically. And again, we've done lots of experiments that show it's not just coincidence. Uh, in our tests, uh, the caller, uh, the subject is filmed. They have four callers, people they know well. We pick one of the four callers at random and ask them to call the person they call. And before they answer the phone or pick up the receiver, and we do it with landlines so there's no caller ID, they have to guess who it is. I think it's John. Hi, John. They're right or they're wrong. One in four chance of being right by just guessing, 25%. The hit rate in these experiments is nearly 50%. It's, again, very significant statistically. We've published this in peer-reviewed journals. So I think telepathy is simply a biological fact. It's a way that members of social groups in animals and in people have of communicating with each other at a distance. It's not scary. It's not spiritual. It's certainly not anything to do with sort of devil worship or anything like that. It's just a normal biological thing and no more or no less spiritual than the sense of smell or the sense of hearing or something like that. Is there research that's been done outside of your own studies that you found particularly compelling? Well, yes, quite a number of people have replicated the telephone telepathy work. Um, and so on. it's not just me that's done this, but there have been laboratory research on telepathy. It's much more artificial than my own. I try to do work under kind of real life conditions. But there's been a lot of research done in parapsychology departments on so-called Gansfeld telepathy. Uh, what happens there is that someone lies in a reclining in a chair with half ping pong balls over their eyes to and, and white noise through earphones. This is to create a sense of relaxation, sensory deprivation, which um, is more conducive to telepathy than busily getting on with a job. You have to your mind has to be fairly open to receive these influences. Then, meanwhile, in another room, the sender looks at a randomly selected video. Uh, there's a pool of four different videos. One's selected at random. It should perhaps might show a scene of someone skiing downhill. And 
But then the person who's lying there relaxed in the laboratory room has to say what kind of images they're getting. And they may get images of people gliding downhill on skis, something like that. And after the session's over, they're shown four clips, the pool of four clips, and asked to identify which one is most like what they saw. And if they identify someone skiing downhill, as opposed, for example, to someone shopping in a supermarket, or then that's called a hit. They get it right. One in four chance of getting it right by just guessing. And these experiments have been widely repeated, replicated in labs all over the world, and have consistently given above chance significant results, showing that people can pick up images telepathically. So there's a lot of that research. Uh, but I think the main evidence for telepathy is the fact it just happens all the time in everyday life. I and mean, it's one of what I call the mysteries of everyday life. Most people have had experiences of telephone telepathy, and I'm sure anyone listening to this, if they haven't had one themselves, bring it up with family or friends or a group at church and say, uh, you know, have you ever had this experience? And my guess is that most people will say yes. And they just know who's calling before they look at the caller ID, uh, even if it's an unexpected call. It doesn't happen every time, of course, but it's very common. And again, I predict that if anyone who's listening asks their friends and family members or people, again, people at church, if they've got dogs or cats, whether their dog or cat knows when a member of the family is coming home, I'd guess that roughly half of the people with dogs or cats would say yes. Uh, this this is, is very, very common. These things are happening all the time. And any mothers who are watching this, who've had babies and who've breastfed them, you know, may have had this experience. It's quite likely some will have had this experience of their milk letting down, their breast squeezing out milk when they're away from the baby at a time when the baby actually needed them. So these are very, very common everyday phenomena. I think the skeptic would say something like extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And you're kind of suggesting this isn't actually that extraordinary. This this happens all the time in our daily lives and across cultures, and it's it's not that out. Well, exactly. What I'm saying is that this isn't an extraordinary claim at all. It's an ordinary claim. If 85% of people experience telephone telepathy, that's ordinary. If 50% of dogs, as according to our surveys, know when owners are coming home, and they do it almost daily. That means there's millions of dogs in the US doing this every day. That's not extraordinary. It's not like some incredibly rare, miraculous type event. These are everyday phenomena. What's extraordinary is the claim by the skeptics that these phenomena are impossible and therefore don't exist. They've got no reason for saying that other than a kind of materialist prejudice, which is essentially part of the atheist worldview. I love the fact that you brought up the church-going people, because I actually had a church small group and brought it up to one of the ministers who's in the small group with me that I was interviewing you. And we talked about a mother's intuition. And while he was saying, yeah, I can kind of see that, his wife overheard the conversation, got between us and said, it's absolutely true. And I thought that was one of the funniest things in the world is how dead set she was at that fact and actually started off a conversation among the women about all their experiences with it. So it was actually quite enlightening to hear this from women themselves. Of all people, my, my own mother-in-law, when I brought up this fact to her, and she's as conservative as a conservative Christian gets, and she says, I know that I have a, an intuition with my children. So it's not quite as a taboo. 
depending on how we frame it, as you might think it would be. Well, I don't think there's any reason for Christians to treat this as a taboo. I mean, the reason it's a taboo in our society is because it's a taboo for atheistic materialists. Their worldview is so narrow and actually so dogmatic that they um, believe the mind is nothing but the inside of the brain. There's nothing, no consciousness out there except other people's. It's a taboo for them, and they've tried to make it a cultural taboo because it doesn't fit with their dogmatic worldview. But there's absolutely no reason why Christians should adopt this so-called scientific taboo. I mean, the Bible's full of extraordinary events, you know, prophetic dreams, miraculous happenings, miraculous healings. And of course, all those things go on today. And of course, the skeptics are against all those too. And actually, one reason they're so against telepathy is they think if you allow anything to be accepted as real that isn't confined to the inside of the head, allow telepathy, and then the next thing, people will start saying, well, what about faith healing, what about miracles and stuff, and religion will come back. So they, they feel they've got to stop belief in telepathy to prevent people being religious. But actually, as I'm saying, it's a different question. I think telepathy and things are just biological, natural, normal things that haven't got anything particular to do with religion. But I think they do show that our minds are much more extensive than our brains, that our minds are not confined to the inside of our heads. And after all, no Christian really should believe that, because if you believe the mind is nothing but the brain, and the other materialist belief, which I discuss in my book, Science Set Free, is that memories are stored inside the brain. Again, that's kind of totally standard materialist dogma. They've never proved that memories are in the brain. They just assume they must be. Then if all memories are in the brain, then when you die and the brain decays, all memories will be wiped out. And so there'd be no possible survival of bodily death in any personal form if all your memories had been eliminated. I think that actually the materialist worldview favours an atheist outlook. That's I was one myself for quite a while, and the materialist scientific worldview seemed like proof that these things couldn't happen. But you have to re- one has to realise that the materialist worldview is itself extremely dogmatic, and it's an assumption that minds are nothing but brains and memories and are stored inside heads and so on. Now, what I find fascinating in reading in your works is that you're considering things like telepathy, like dogs who can know when their owners are coming home. You're considering things that any other self-respecting scientist would say that they can't really entertain. And it seems like this stemmed from your religious belief. But the story that I'm often hearing is that religious belief creates closed-mindedness, that it closes doors, it gives you answers, it doesn't open questions. Do you see your own biography as, as in a sense, a contradiction to that narrative, as promoting open-mindedness and allowing for questions that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to ask? Well, I don't think my interest in telepathy arose directly from my Christian belief. I, what it did arise from is a challenging of the materialist worldview. And modern science is based not on the fundamental beliefs of modern science and not empirical facts. They're assumptions that come from a particular philosophy of nature, namely the materialist philosophy of nature, which treats nature as a machine. The materialism says nature is a machine made of mechanical activities of unconscious matter. There's no purpose in nature. Evolution has happened with no purpose or direction. The mind is nothing but the activity of the brain. 
There's no consciousness out there. There's certainly no God out there. This is the materialist worldview. And as I said earlier, it is essentially atheistic. Now, that worldview is based on a set of assumptions uh, which are extremely dogmatic. In my book, Science Set Free, I take the principal 10 dogmas of materialism and I turn them into questions and show that they don't do very well if you take them as scientific hypotheses and look at the evidence. Uh, Most of them have no evidence. There's no evidence that the universe is a machine, for example, it's just a metaphor. And traditional societies, including uh, traditional Christian philosophers, have thought of the world as more like an organism. The universe is more like an organism than like a machine. I mean, after all, the Big Bang model that cosmology now has is much more like the Big Bang's like the hatching of a cosmic egg. And actually, it's not very far from the description in the first chapter of Genesis, where you have a separation of light and darkness, then a separation of uh, land and water, and then the earth bringing forth plants. Book of Genesis doesn't say God individually designed animals and plants like machines. It says God said, let the earth bring forth vegetation. Let the seas bring forth life, living creatures. And it's uh, theologically called mediate creation. God empowers nature to bring forth life, empowers the earth and the sea to bring forth life. Doesn't God doesn't individually, like an external engineer outside nature, individually design them. That idea that they're machines and therefore God's got to be an engineer outside nature designing them is again, ironically, totally steeped in scientific materialism as an an assumption. The biblical account is much more organic. Nature is much more organic and and non-mechanical. There's nothing in the Bible that says nature is a machine. So that assumption of materialism, as I say, it's just an assumption. You can't actually prove nature is a machine. And it implies a kind of theology, which I think leads to atheism. If you say nature is a machine, then you say God's like a machine maker outside nature who designs and makes the world machine and then presses the start button. And then nature goes on automatically without God. And then God becomes more or less irrelevant. And and if you say then God intervenes through the occasional miracle by suspending the laws of nature, basically anyone who believes that has conceded the materialist worldview. And then you've got to try and squeeze God in. But any true understanding of the divine relationship to nature is that God not only is a creator, but sustains the entire universe from moment to moment. Without God as the ground of all being, the whole universe would cease to exist. So it's not as if God's just there to start it off. And most atheists like Richard Dawkins, who attack Christianity, are attacking uh, the view of a God outside nature who designs the laws of nature and starts the universe off in the first place and then more or less retires, which is a a very, very misleading view of God and not a biblical view at all and not a Christian view. Uh, So they're refuting a God in, in whom many Christians don't believe in the first place. Certainly, I don't believe in that kind of God. In your experience talking with respectable public scientists and figures, do you find that they're often in conversation quite open to telepathy, quite open to rejecting materialism, but then they're just, I can't publicly say this. I can privately be interested, but publicly I can't be associated with this. Has that been your experience? Oh, yes, uh, very much so. Most scientists have actually had these, they're normal people, most of them. So most scientists have had telepathic experiences with telephones. Many of them have dogs that know when they're coming home from the laboratory. 
you know, the, most scientists have had these experiences because, and, and many women scientists who are mothers have had the experience of telepathy with their babies or children. So, yes, they've had these experiences, but most of them don't dare talk about them with their colleagues because of this taboo. And I find that there's a very strong contrast between what scientists are prepared to say in public and what they believe and think in private. We recently organized some surveys in, in Britain, France, and Germany of practicing scientists, engineers, and medical professionals. About 25% are atheists in Britain, about 20% agnostic. So 45% of practicing scientists, engineers, and medical people call themselves non-religious. But about 45% call themselves religious or spiritual, but not religious or, or spiritual. So it's about equal numbers that are non-religious and religious or spiritual. And yet the kind of atheistic, anti-religious tone of atheist, public atheists like Richard Dawkins or P.Z. Myers or Jerry Coyne, a couple of American militant atheists, the tone they set makes most people believe that most scientists are atheistic, dogmatic materialists. Actually, they're not. But when they're at work, they're afraid they'll be attacked if they deviate from or, or violate these taboos. They live in fear of being attacked by other scientists for violating these uh, beliefs or dogmas. In my experience, uh, much more dogmatic within science. Uh, scientific Scientists are much more dogmatic than most religious people I know. I find a greater freedom in thinking and discussing on religious questions and spiritual questions than I do discussing science with scientists, where the taboos and the limits on what you can say and think are much narrower and much more intolerant. Well, thank you so much for that fascinating survey of that really interesting subject. This has been an excellent discussion, and thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, and I'm very glad you're doing this.